Hello and welcome back to the Talking with Apes podcast. Today we are here with episode 16 um, and we have been absent for a while, but this was not without reason. We were in Glasgow participating in the COP26 event, uh, that is a conference of policymakers. And it is, as you probably know if you listen to this podcast, a huge event focused on how we can combat climate change as fast as possible. Um, it's where all the big decisions are made on what countries commit to and what they decide to ignore. So um, today we will discuss the things that were um, talked about at this conference and whether we think it was a success or a failure or something in between. Um, so we will try to be nuanced, of course, but also remember we are here speaking as activists, as young people that still have some time to live on this planet, hopefully. So um, why don't I hand the mic over to uh, Tom, uh, who was with me at the conference, to yeah, give a first impression. Uh, a first impression of the cop? Oh, um yeah, talk us like through first day, Tom. Like, yeah, maybe we should also mention Keenan was not at COP because because like it's really hard to get a visa to Scotland since I'm not a Belgian national and just didn't really feel like uh, a project that I could take on at the time. Um, but yeah, since I haven't been there, yeah. like maybe is your are we asking for a first impression on like first day or like last day? It depends because Morgan was there the first day inside. Okay, um, okay. I, I went the second week, so. Okay, if we want to start with a first impression of the very first day. Um, so I arrived there on, uh, um, what was it? It was Saturday, Sunday? Sunday, yes. Yes, Sunday. Sunday, the 31st of yes. um October at the time, uh, I went into this big building. I went through all the security measures, which took me like 45 minutes to obtain my badge, a badge which read Observer on it, which we will probably come back to. It had to. a beautiful picture on it as well. It had an amazing picture on it. Uh, I looked like a psychopath because they they, they tried to use a, a, an app, which don't, don't let politicians design an app. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, but so I, I got in and I went around the big venue. I discovered where to charge my laptop or to get food food which was incredibly expensive uh i noticed that most people were very busy very um very much concerned with one task so people usually don't come to cop unless they have something to do there as as we also you know we also were there to represent an organization and we had a certain number of goals um but most of the people there are there for um political professional reasons um which creates a certain you know not really office atmosphere but definitely a sort of uh competitive corporate structure atmosphere um also because uh, the badges you get as i said mine red observer uh the badges determine what you are allowed into and what your privileges are within the the cop venue so it determines where you can go what what you can eat 
um, who you can meet with, you know, all, all these kinds of things are to some extent determined by your badge. Um, and yeah, so Observer is the lowest <laughs> in that rank. Uh, I was not allowed in a lot of things, especially in the beginning, because there was the World Leader Summit. So you, you've you probably seen that on the news. Uh, you know, Prof, uh, President Biden was there. Um, 130 leaders, world leaders were there giving big speeches promising a lot of things before decisions were actually starting to be made because that part only happens in the second week. So it was a bit of a weird atmosphere. It was a, a, a very like hyperactive atmosphere. Everyone was making promises, but nobody really knew what was going to happen in that second much more structurally important week. Um, also, things were still being built. Um there was there were floods in Glasgow a week before, so I think that's what made some of the building process uh, slow. Um, so the pavilions weren't accessible yet. Um, and for me, in the first day, there was very little to do other than network, which is what I did. I, I met some Brazilian activists. I met the Belgian UN youth delegates that was there to represent, uh, you know, the youth council uh, in in. In the Belgian delegation, woohoo, Rena! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she good she, job. Yeah, <laughs> so she obviously also had a different badge than mine. Um, she had a party overflow badge, which basically means that you're allowed into all things, but you're also the first one to be kicked out if anyone else wants mm -hmm. to enter, and it's full. Um, so yeah, so it was just kind of an orient, like uh, orienting yourself getting to know where you can be and where security will uh, tell you to fuck off. <laughs> and yeah, so that, that was my first day. Um, and honestly, I thought that once the World Leader Summit would be over, I would be entering into all of these meetings and really following the discussion because... You know, at that point, observers would also be allowed in there to some mm, extent. Not so much. Yes, that yeah. was that was disappointing. It wasn't really uh, at all possible even then. But even when it was possible, because I know I know someone who who did enter some of the the talks, of course, without saying anything or like you're you're not allowed to do anything there. You as are an very clearly an observer. Yes, and observers but are that's supposed fine, to you know, but sit, watch. But and I just silence. noticed that you can follow these debates on YouTube on their streaming platform. Yes. Like, there's many ways to follow these debates to rewatch them. And for me, as someone who's not allowed to say anything there, anyways, and as someone who's not allowed into any negotiations. It felt like the outside of the negotiations was much more valuable for me because that's where the people were that I could network with and I could only network with these people within that week. Um, it, I could not rewatch that on YouTube. I could not redo it. Um, and that was also the time when the, the pavilions were open and where I could kind of look at what all the countries were presenting. A lot of greenwashing there, some interesting ideas, some good talks, some weird corporate eh, talks. But, you know, it was just, um, it, it was an exciting week and so much happened. And I feel like I'm kind of 
all over the place right now, but yeah, so. So <laughs> that mean, was the first week. That was yeah. the first week. I, I kind of share the impression uh, for the most part. I would uh, say to anyone that did not have the, uh, I don't know, privilege or curse to uh, experience the cop from the inside. Um, Let's call it a privilege. It's it's a privilege, uh, but I will, I will say... The reason I use the second word as well is um, I think it occurs a bit on, on civil society uh, in general uh, and on all the people that actually are engaged with the climate crisis um, because that place is not a decision-making process or to which you are invited in any way. Let's be very clear about that. and that it, uh, Because that is the message it sends to everyone there, I believe. It is not for you to give any input whatsoever. So it is for you to observe, to discover some things which are very carefully picked and presented. Uh, it has nothing to do necessarily with you being involved in any way. Like you said, the best thing you can do there, I believe, is network. And boy, you can network there. Let me be frank about that. It's it's amazing. There's so many people from all across the world there. But the entire COP itself is an extremum of our society. It is loud. It is way too fast to be able to follow anything. It is busy. It is not inclusive with the majority of people. It presents for some countries. It presents the idea of a bit of democracy, but it doesn't actually... There's no system of democracy there. So um, let me ask you this. So what was the, really the difference between you guys who had the observer badge and someone who was just there without the badge? Um, because I somebody mean, without a badge couldn't you get into the... Like the with the badge, still, you weren't, you weren't welcome inside the discussion rooms. No, but like, so there's, there's several levels within this huge building. Yes. Okay. So um, there was the... A, a thing called the plenary, or there were actually three plenaries, I think. Yes. Yeah. But um, so there were uh, in the plenaries is that was where the politicians would speak, where they would That's present things. That's sir. Exactly, and uh, and with a observer badge, you could enter in the back rows, and you could sit there and watch. Um, if you wanted to. So that that was like what you could do in the plenary. Uh, then there is all the uh, meeting rooms that are private. Every delegation has one meeting room. I think there were like 270 meeting. Or yeah, there's a bunch of yeah. not so clearly distinguishable white boxes. Exactly. And so, for example, the Belgian delegation, everyone with a party badge from Belgium would be allowed in there and they would discuss the the point of view of Belgium. So what do we as a country want to commit to? Who do we want to work with? Uh, you know, what possibilities do we see at this COP? Uh, and we were not allowed in there because we didn't have party badges. We did not belong to a party. The observer badge basically means that you are part of civil society and you are there to, you know, just be there and Towards. follow the negotiations, see what is being said, report back, yeah. maybe check with your wh whatever organization you are with. You're um, basically there to report back to the outside yes. of your organization. You know how during a wedding contract there are uh, like witnesses that sign the document? 
that's basically yeah. the observers at the at the COP. There's the, they are the witnesses that the process has taken place and that the decision is made, and they basically. But you are allowed into the it. pavilion area where you yes. can witness some talks where there's a lot of networking going on mm-hmm. um i mean it's an event of 10,000 people uh yes <laughs> yes so uh, like and that's that's, that's the blue zone you also have to spe- to clarify a bit uh you also have a green zone which is accessible to people without a badge uh where some companies and some organizations or some art installations are present uh that talk about climate uh, change and, and how to deal with the crisis. Um, and those two combined form the entire conference event. That's really cool to hear. Um, so that that was your first week. You uh, gave us your first impression. So the second week, where was like the actual negotiations happening? Was that happening in a publicly accessed place? or No, no. Like everything happened mm-hmm. in the blue zone. Huh. Everything happens behind closed doors or a fence, but I mean, more specifically. Uh, technically, but it's it's publicly accessible because it's on YouTube. It's on the streaming platforms. Yes. Like the, nego- the big negotiations are like not the not really the negotiations, more the presentation of what has been negotiated. Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. Well, that's really uh, so. That was your first week. What about like the second week where? Uh, we can talk about actually what's what's happened. I mean, if we're if we're like uh, fast forwarding to the end, it's. Uh, the headlines that we get a lot from reading about the COP, keeping 1.5 alive, mm-hmm. phasing uh, out slash phasing down. down. Down, officially, the last statement says phasing down, cool. Phasing uh, as down, by call. Uh, Gift of India, uh, specifically. At I that, mean, uh, India cop. backed by other uh, Yes, also. I mean, yeah, these, these, these kind of details. Let's tell, us, tell us about these, like... Uh, um, what was the what was the reaction inside the car between the people you talked to? Um, when I'm, when was these things allowed announced? Actually, were they the last day announced or uh, that the Indian thing really came a bit as a bit as a surprise? Yeah, yeah, that was in the plenary at the very end where India was like, ah, we would like to water down this piece of language. Uh, but I mean, in in the COP itself, again, it's a it's a massive conference uh the people we were most in contact with were other youth and uh, especially the youth constituency group so that's uh, a group that you know the un goes to or that the un has as a as a bit of a of a check uh, check in sometimes like what do they think about what is going on and uh, that constituency group goes around all the time trying to influence uh, negotiations uh, by lobbying with information, lobbying with their pretty young faces, by um, trying to uh, make statements. I, they have the right, uh, Jungo, the, as, as an official constituency, has the right to intervene, I believe, once uh, every negotiation meeting and make a statement, uh, I believe, on behalf of the youth. Um, but yeah... Um, Basically, you have a bunch of, of, of young people, including our uh, amazing youth representative, uh, going around trying to add pieces of text like lobby, like national delegations uh, and negotiators to uh, get this piece of text into the final, uh, into the final text, into the final draft. Um, 
running around the place. Um, they Jungo also has some badges which they could use collectively to get into meetings. And that is so actually they really were, cool. Like you could follow your your country's uh, um, delegation and try to lobby for. Well, if you're part of. Jungo, Jungo, and yeah. you're one of the people that Jungo decided to... Like, you you get elected as a youth uh, representative. And the Belgian youth representative is... Uh, I mean, yeah, there is a, a, youth, a Belgian youth representative for climate specifically, and that is uh, that was Rennes Wiesens. Now she will retire and nobody else yes. shall rise from her ashes. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but also, Jungo also is, is pretty inclusive, actually, uh, because it does have some passes which any member of Jungo can use at some occasion because they're trying to squeeze whatever they get for as much potential as, as as is possible. So sometimes they say like, yeah, we have these two badges here, they're at our office space. Uh, and anyone with, who is a member of Jungo can come and get them. Uh, just make sure you return them so that, you know, the, the next hour somebody else can make use of them immediately. Um, and you basically have uh, a bunch of youth running around the place trying to influence negotiations as much as possible. But it's it's yeah, like if you if you can't lobby with uh, with money or exactly. power, you have to lobby with just being Your voice. there. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. And even being seen, like even as an observer, like imagine a room full of old white men. But like now, imagine that room, but there's also like 50 people watching from the global south like it's it's gonna influence definitely, how they definitely. talk and about that's things. that's actually what i wanted to ask like do you think your presence there and the presence of the civil society there the protests outside the cop has that influenced the decision making within the uh meeting rooms or was it not influential enough i i would I say absolutely yes. yeah yes on both I, yes. I I think absolutely has it influenced it as much as civil society would want to. That alone, I don't I don't think so. But if they would not be present, I mean, just you you only have to look at the at the the free trade agreements we have seen in the past of uh, like CETA, for example. Those things are negotiated behind closed doors. There's no one present on those, and that has definitely an an even worse character. I say even worse, but I am <coughs> I I very much like to push on the on the uh, transparency. Yeah, and to push this that this text can be way more ambitious or that I, way I, more can be done. But like, yeah, look at a free trade agreement, and you can see what happens if no one is is is. I mean, yeah, if, if no one is there to observe, it's literally just conspiracy within like closed doors. It's just no, it's it's politics. It's normal politics. Like yes, it's normal politics. But like when you when you when people think of like the lizard people behind closed doors, no, <laughs> you know, like, even then you just have geopolitics that dominate and 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 big companies that dominate. But um, it's uh, how to say this. Um, it's it's it all it all has a very logical way causality behind logic. It. Yeah, it, it it has its its in, internal logic and the logic on which the the world currently oper operates. Definitely. Like, um, it it makes sense that big companies have a lot of influence, uh, considering they have so much money. Okay, um, 
Um, so back to like the results of the COP, like we know Paris Agreement 2015, it, it came out with um, quote unquote results. There was a lot of uh, promises, lots of pledges, lots of countries, uh, almost all countries in the world signed the Paris Agreement. Um, what is the result of COP26? Is, uh, what did we get out with really concretely? Um, in well, a lot of promises. <laughs> yes, <laughs> lots of promises. Uh, Actually, before promises. before you answer, like, was there any discussion in the COP26 about like the implementation of Paris Agreement and how we couldn't raise enough money for development countries? We couldn't. Oh yeah, I mean, like there. That's like it was a review of what what has. It was a review of the Paris Agreement and like yes. what 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 was the world leaders or like the people's their um what was their defense, if you will. Um, I would argue, watch the YouTube live streams for that one. It's not that they said it to us. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the thing, the thing is, they all, of course, have like you ask, what was the world leader's defense if it's one unity standing of up? Not. It's not like every country has its own narrative, its own um, ideas, its own um, pledges, its own um, defense. Yes. And I, I I think you know some more plausible than others, but uh, I I don't I don't want to speak Plump about world leaders Fair as enough. one. Um, um, but you found no, the Belgian. Really... Uh, um... But uh, I mean, if you're if you're asking about like what was the what was the how did the gears click on 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 uh, on, on what was actually decided upon. Um, well, it was a bunch of, of countries, uh, of, of MAPA countries, most affected peoples and areas, uh, and, and the states that overlap with those uh, regions, saying like, we have no funding for loss and damages, which was a big topic, saying we do not get enough money for sustainable development, for like skipping uh, our, or leaving our coal and gas and oil in the ground, if that is what... You guys, you being like the developed countries that already used all of the uh, used a bunch of fossil fuels, if that is what you guys want, then you have to pay us to help us get make that jump. Yes, uh, that, that kind of money wasn't, wasn't wasn't raised. No, no, it was not. There's not a. But if you're talking about the 100 billion pledge, is that what you mean right now? Or? Yeah, the one that happened in Paris. Because the thing with the 100 billion pledge is it does not specify how much of that goes to loss and damages or if also, anything goes to loss and damages. Yes, those are two separate things. Um, uh, I'm not only talking about loss and damages here. I'm talking about like, uh, take Syria, for example, a country ravaged by civil war um, for 10 mm. years. It's it's right now starting to rebuild its, uh, its uh, infrastructure. And a lot of like young activists and young climate activists in Syria even, um, they, see this, they see this as an opportunity to start right because you mm -hmm. are rebuilding yes. the, the infrastructure. And like from what I could found online, like even though Syria did sign the the Paris Agreement, um, there has been no financial support for this kind of sustainable models helping us um, build sustainable energy resources or even like sending qualities and engineers. Um, exactly. Nothing of so, that happened. So the the thing, the problem with um, the the one hundred billion, if we when we're talking about it, is. Um, First of all, it takes a while to put up the report for knowing whether that year you succeeded in raising those 100 billion. So we're always behind two years. <laughs> so for this year, for example, we can't really tell. For last year, we can't really tell either. But yes, we, we're not there yet. We're around 800 billion was what 2019 brought forth. Um, A million, you mean? 
800 million? No. Oh, no, like uh, like 80, like 80 billion. 80 billion, okay. yes, right under, I think it was right under 80 billion. Sorry for no. my misspeak. <laughs> um, and, and 100 billion is what we need. So we're about at 80%. And they accept uh, they expect that 2020 was a bit higher than that, but they they think that um, it will still not have reached the 100 billion that we would need. Um, Unfortunate. And, and a, a lot of MAPA countries say they actually need 300 billion. Sorry, what is MAPA countries? Uh, most affected peoples and areas. So countries that roughly uh, that it's a weird word uh, it's a weird acronym to use in synthesis sometimes. forget the acronym it's just like it's talking about uh, something you hear on the news a lot the global let's south say, let's say syria belongs to that because for example yes. it is very sensitive to more draw more droughts yeah. Uh, yeah it's people that are that are facing the consequences of climate change right now i, I would like I, from what i've like seen on the news like they use the term the global south a lot and i do think that's kind of like uh, if you're talking very roughly it's the yeah, but again, South America, Africa. Well, MAPA is the term that those countries themselves use to describe yeah. this. Yeah, situation. I know. I'm just, I'm just like and trying just to explain to, to anybody who's listening, yes. like which countries are we talking about? Like some parts of Brazil count, but then does you know it's it's uh, other parts are very heavily developed. Yeah, uh, that, that's like so the there is it is important to make a distinction between people within an area like you can't just of say course. the whole area because for example people living in the amazonian region are going to be way more affected than people living in but Rio. eventually like when you get these funds you will give them to the brazilian government yeah that's another issue that uh, that a lot of other activists talked uh, with us about um mainly the fact that a lot of funding goes to governments and then Disappears. Disappears corruptly, uh, somehow. We didn't know governments. And so it is another struggle to get that funding to frontline communities themselves, who also, by the way, have the experience. They live in the environment that is damaged. They often know how to repair that environment uh, yeah, in the most efficient way. Yeah. Yes, and within that also, let's say you just give it to those communities it doesn't always work like that. Of course, also. Like, I mean, you're from Syria. Like, uh, you can't just give money to... I mean, you can't just give groups, money to a bunch of farmers you know? and expect them to come up with sustainable exactly. energy solutions. Exactly. You, you can't. And, That's not and what's, 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 what everybody is looking for. And it for. also, it can further destabilize a country if you would do that. Yes. Because you're kind of patronizing the, the local government and you're going behind their back, which yes. can limit any further collaboration development and which can put people at risk that you don't want to be again i would risk. say uh, i mean i don't know maybe i'm seeing everything from the lenses of syria because that's where i come from but like i know for example our government if it were to take a hundred dollars in help it would be spending 60 percent on that on its own corruption and maybe 40 30 percent will go to actual farmers and to like actually do quality work like here's the thing like these countries will eventually like even these corrupt governments they even with how stupid and brutal they are they know that eventually they have to fix this problem so there does go a lot of work in the quality of research in the quality of uh, 
like in projects that actually help communities. But of yeah, course, but if you give that money to those farmers directly, won't the government no, just but like take there, it away? There are, there are NGOs, there are um, non-governmental bodies within Syria, for example, or within Brazil, I imagine, yes. yeah, that you can cooperate with without antagonizing the government. Yeah, and that would... Uh, for example, we had a, uh, a meeting with the with our Belgian uh, minister for uh, development cooperation. Um, that is also what she said. Like when, especially when a stable government is missing, as is the case in a lot of places, uh, yeah. you know, and on a very small amount of states is very stable um, in the world. Uh, then they look for. NGOs that can supply those things. But of course, you, you know, the entire thing, I think the point uh, is the entire thing is mingled up with politics and international politics because that is what reality is like. And if you antagonize a national government, you, of course, can also expect the military of said uh, national government to, for example, coerce local communities out of that money again. So you you're always walking a very fine uh, line and of trying course. to balance the, yourself on that line, um, which is not to say that the United Nations is currently always doing a perfect job at that. Far from it. Uh, but so it is so a they're, they're it's doing a complex their best. mess. It, it's a very like well, when, it, when it comes to. to, to <laughs> I also don't want to compliment them in that way. <laughs> oh, yeah, but like I, I will say like probably the most complicated part of this, like when it, when it, when you get down to it about uh, redistributing funds, the geopolitics of it. That that is like country specific. You can't have a um, all poor countries will have the same policy. Like you will have to for every delegation and for every country, you will have to have a s different situation and to cooperate with different people. Yeah, and, and maybe don't call them poor countries. <laughs> I mean, I don't, like what? Like that's honestly that's the way I think of it. But uh, yeah, it's it doesn't it come down to money in the end. It, it's about it's, the the development and the and the loss and damages. Yes, the loss and damages is also about uh, other stuff. Yes, uh, loss and damages also includes uh, loss of life. physical land, loss of cultures, loss of, loss of life. Uh, indeed, loss of v many things. Um, the most affected countries. I'm sorry. Um, you talked about the uh, the effect that civil society had, like in their presence there. But uh, at the same time, the, this COP specifically has been called like the whitest COP ever. And um, there was a lot of complaint. Like we talked about this in another episode of the podcast about the uh, fears of lack of diversity within the COP26. Um, talk to me about that. Like what did you think from you being on the ground? Yeah, well, I think um, coming from a European country and this being my very first COP and I am white myself, or people listening. He's white as fuck. <laughs> you, you probably know, even though I, <laughs> you don't see me. Um, we have pictures on the website, Morgan. <laughs> um, no, but uh, I mean, yeah. You, you can tell that I'm white probably from <laughs> what I say. Uh, but um, yeah, so like I have my own biases, blah, 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 you know. Of course. That, disclaimer. That, that disclaimer out of the way. <laughs> I am privileged <laughs> and I... Talking from a privileged point of view. Um, I mean, even me, a Syrian living in Belgium, like I am also in yeah. that position where I'm not affected. And so, like, in any way, so, like, I think that, yes, it's, it's very wide, especially once you go into any 
like if if when you start taking away people with observer badges, it becomes extremely white. Um, and even like for example, I followed a group. Just so we're clear, when we say white, we mean like Westerners, Western countries. I mean, I'm talking skin colors right now. Huh? I'm I'm talking yeah, like because no, because like what I, what I was referring to is like the lack of representation of like most affected countries, maybe or like. Uh, uh, indigenous cultures. Yes, but like I, I was gonna get into Go the ahead. details of it because, for example, uh, even people from most affected people and areas, uh, I talked to a group of Brazilian youth, and even within their group, there was um, only one uh, person with indigenous background. If I like that, I talked to personally. Of course, there were me- more in the whole Brazilian delegation, but that's the people that I talk to. The group of people you talk to. Yes, exactly. And there were um, there were several white people, like they were very white passing. They could have passed easily as, you know, Spanish people or whatever. Um, and then there was uh, like two people who were not really white, like who were not super white and one, one girl that was like considered black. Um, and so like, just looking at that, like most of the people from the young Brazilians could still pass as European white people. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's even within the, the discrimination, you notice that the most privileged people within their country that are able to attend COP are also more white people. Of course. So, like, you know... I mean, it's in the end, it's 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 really, like, I don't... Like, maybe you don't agree with me. Like, you know my opinion about, like, the, the thing in the end, like, with Ray... Not not to its root, racism obviously exists on a, also on a, just a racial bias, but I do think in the... on In a lot of uh, levels, it comes down to classism. And would you say, like, the people who had the privilege to even come to COP, like... Are from a higher class. I am yeah. from a higher yes. class. I don't yes. think I've seen anyone who's not like middle class. But you also talked to me about someone who uh, who basically spent his whole life savings to. Uh, no. Y- yeah. So. Yeah. But that he, is. He's a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, but like I don't think it's like that person like in the global economy on the global scale. Isn't like like it's not about he's not he's not a rich person who is very privileged. No, because we, I mean, that that's play, it's because of the, some of the reasons why the COP became so, uh, so, so exclusionary. Like, prices were through the roof for everything. It was expensive. Within the COP itself, stuff is expensive. Um, And yes, countries like Brazil have NGOs, but they have way less NGOs, way less big NGOs uh, as those, for example, in the European Union who, I mean, who who have grown big and strong on the fact that uh, they exist within welfare states, you know, states that actively want a civil society to function, like a, the Belgian state, for example, actively works on the concept of having a civil society that is a bridge between parliamentary politics and, and the people. Um and thus, Belgium, you see that as well in the delegation, includes those people in its delegation. Rena, as a youth representative, got included, but also uh, one representative from the unions, representatives from Climate Coalition, this coalition of uh, civil society, were included. Somebody from Oxfam, somebody from other things. Um, 
as in contrast to maybe as the, in contrast with the majority of countries that yeah. don't do that like all the brazilian people i talked to came to cop with uh, badges from english organizations or organizations from other european countries and the brazilian delegation itself had uh they had the brazilian delegation was huge they huh. had like a hundred 30 Jesus. people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a huge but, country. But. but they basically gave badges to personnel. Like, for example, like people serving popcorn in the Brazilian pavilion had a fancy party badge, hmm. even though they're, they were just there. Like, they weren't part of any negotiations, but they had the fancy badge especially if they were younger, because that way Brazil could be like, hey, look at all these young people we brought. So you think that part of it was a PR? Oh, definitely. Yes, I mean, yes, like, yes. And uh, that, that is, uh, that is, that is for all lot, youth lot. present that I think we can, uh, I think it, it was one of the youth statements washing. made by the youth yeah. constituencies. Yeah, call it youth washing, call it whatever you want, window dressing. We were definitely decoration for a lot of people and not just the youth, uh, the indigenous people's uh, constituency, Uh, made that very clear as well. Justin Trudeau, for example, was there taking pictures with indigenous people from Canada and at home those people end up in prison because they defend their land uh, from exploitation from his government. Yeah. So it, it the entire thing goes along with a bow. Honestly, a every time someone was wearing any sort of like clothing that made them you know, show their indigenous heritage... Immediately, 50 cameras were on them. And like, and these people were there as a part of civil society observers. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, so, like, like, for example, the gesture in Trudeau case, like, maybe the Canadian delegation had like indigenous people within it. Um, I don't know specifically about the Canadian delegation, um, but a lot of these people were either as part of a constituency group there and, uh, or, with an NGO that they managed to get uh, a, a badge from. To make their voices heard. To make their voices heard uh, as well. I, th- I also don't think Western civil society fully underst- or is fully aware at home uh, of how difficult it is for people from these uh, regions of the globe to get to such to an just event. Get here, yeah. Yeah. And also that a lot of those people go there to also interact with them. Like yeah. The NGOs from from Belgium and from Europe, for example, are there to try and influence negotiations. But a lot of people from other parts of the world are also there to connect with those Western NGOs because those Western NGOs, again, have resources that are completely lacking in other places of the globe. Yeah. Um, And they can contribute a lot. So I think it's something they should uh, actively, like, look further into, talk with some people about so they can be aware of how much maybe power and, and, and contribution they can have in the world. So yeah, we can like we can say that this COP has been pretty exclusionary. Yes. Yes. Uh, there, there were a lot of observers there um, that were maybe not like it like I think if if we say oh the COP was super exclusionary and it was only people from like Europe and America, that's not fair because Their, the world was there, but did they have a say? No. Did they mm-hmm. have any other function than being window dressing and being the voice of the indigenous people in some 
moments when media was there. Not really. Um, also, like, you know, feminist organizations and stuff that were there. And uh, a lot of talk about gender equality. There was a whole day around gender, but there was... Like our, our pre-COP podcast, we talk about a lot of delegations who couldn't actually make it because of COVID when it comes to uh, indigenous uh, delegates or... Uh, yeah, it was the case with uh, with uh, some of the other youth activists we met up with. Um, I believe it was the Colombians. They did not have their second uh, vaccination shot yet. Meanwhile, yeah. Belgium is talking about a third shot. A third, fourth. It is... Yeah. Uh, it, it is it is a very stark contrast yeah. uh, with... Especially how UK has been talking about it uh, and and what it was in reality. What what are you referring to? Well, the UK, of course, is is been promoting the shit out of this, so saying, "Look how good we do, look how well we're doing." Yeah, we're doing everything we can to get these people involved, etc. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the only Af- the only person from Afghanistan that was. Uh, eligible for a batch, did not get his visa approved. Yeah, Jesus. the local youth activists of Fridays for Future, I believe it was, yeah. in, in Glasgow, in Scotland, have been fighting the home office of the UK over visas for people that, that wanted to come to Scotland the entire time. Like, they have had a very exhausting battle with them. So, no, the UK has not done not not a good job, not even a decent job. So, the UK yeah. has been an asshole host. Talking about our host, so it it was <laughs> it was a shit show when it came to visas. It was a shit show when it came to, uh, you know. I will say like uh, like obviously you were there. You had to like rent a place to stay there. You had to eat. You had to drink, and prices were through the roof. I mean, and yeah. Also, the don't pound th- being extremely yeah, high. but like, don't you think like if like is it like crazy to maybe expect a cop to like provide for the people with like badges maybe or like maybe you get like uh lodgings well they food. do if you're <laughs> if you're very important yeah yeah like it, maybe it, they should incur like country delegation but then you're stuck with the fact that a country like Brazil invites all its 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 waiters uh, as as a party delegation and not its actual uh, not not anything civil society uh, wise. Um, so, but I don't think the idea is is uh, that weird. Um, though again, some countries probably don't want their uh, communities to get too much of a of a correct report back uh, from what is happening there. Um, again, I mean the example is clear. The bigger the polluter, the bigger the pavilion was. Uh, and the less people were t- tended to be in it as well. Uh, often. I mean, Qatar, also, Saudi Arabia. I just feel like um, it's 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 also a problem that this event happens. Like it, 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 the event being in uh, Britain or like the UK. Not Britain. I don't know. I don't know how that. Great like, Britain just, is well, one of the two yeah. islands on Anyways, which the UK is based. Yes, that it's there. <laughs> um, just also creates those high prices. It it yes. also creates partially the problem. So I think maybe you should look into okay if the if the event is held in a country that is very rich. Yes, then they should definitely provide for accommodation and basic. Uh, yeah. 
food needs but you know let's say it, I mean, honestly uh, i'm not even talking about providing but like what from you guys told me about like when you were looking for a place to sleep there was a lot of opportunism uh prices went through the roof because they knew there was a lot of yeah, quote-unquote tourists politics politicians talking about something a bit like maybe a bit of control so this thing doesn't become so exclusionary to people who can't afford it but it's not meant to be non-exclusionary it's the but I mean, we're talking about what it. I mean, yeah, it's called the conference of, of the policy of the parties. Oh, I yeah. thought parties. it was the conference of of policy. the parties, but the parties in this case are the oh, political right. representatives yeah. of the yeah. United Nations nations thing. Um, well, so. it felt like the conference of the policymakers. Yeah, because that is what it is. Let's be frank. At the end, even Obama can give a beautiful speech at the COP. Right, it doesn't matter. He's not actually the president at the moment anymore. Biden is, and Biden decides that he doesn't want loss and damages to go through. The same as well for the European Union. Belgium can fuck up all it wants, which it did gloriously. Um, <laughs> but in the end, it's Franz Timmermans of the European Commission that actually talks and and to which people listen. To yeah, people he's listen. a good speaker. Yeah, retro based on uh, his rhetoric skills are very good. Um, talk about. Um, like, like um, I, I, I'm very interested in what you said. Like, uh, the bigger the polluter, the bigger the pavilion. What is <laughs> from what you've seen? Like, something really interesting. I think we all saw the penguin one with like from last week tonight. They talked about it with the that was a cute small pavilion yes. themselves. Ah, uh, I mean, one of a, a number of things stuck out to me. Um, one as somebody from Antwerp, the, the the factory that has been polluting Antwerp, Flanders, and probably entire Western European coast. 3M? No, oh. 3M. Uh, this is 3M. 3M was there as a sponsor. <laughs> also been right. For the United the, Nations the, uh, on Climate Change yes. Pavilion. The it was there. The corporate representation there. Yeah, um, there was an entire pavilion for companies uh, of business uh, for climate. Uh, business for climate. Um... That one uh, jumped out to me. Um, the Benelux Pavilion was sad. Um, they had beautiful. But beautiful why does the Benelux had foam leather stuck to beautiful white walls as and well? It fell off at some point, and it was very sad. It was just an ugly office. Yes, uh, and the other thing that, uh, and that's maybe the, a little bit of a fun one. So you had. Uh, the European Union pavilion on one hand, you had the British pavilion on the other, and in between, Great Britain had found nothing better than to put the Commonwealth pavilion yes, to heard. show how many countries they yes, connect I with. Did, I did love that. And then in an alleyway almost behind the European Union pavilion, you found the African Union pavilion. <laughs> so the entire setup very much felt like... And like just uh, so Your I can like be jokes. there and uh, and like our listeners. So like, what you go to a pavilion? Like, do they offer you brochures? What do they like? Is there well, people to talk to? You have to follow to? the talk. And if you follow the talk, so like you sit there for like an hour and you listen to all of them, like greenwashing their country and their yes. policies, then you get a present, which can be food. That was not what happened at the Belgium one when I was there. I did not oh, yeah, get no. anything. No, no, but like some countries are famous for their presents. So uh -huh. I think it was Tunisia. Uh -huh. They give like really fancy presents, but they I don't give that. it to people so that don't follow the Belgian them. pavilion, like since we are in Belgium and like we do discuss all the Belgian shared politics. The Benelux pavilion shared with the uh, European Investment Bank to be precise. Yes, so it was... Huh. Three so countries it's and the Netherlands, the, bank. Yes. the Netherlands, Luxembourg, yeah. and Belgium had one pavilion. And the European and bank. European bank. <laughs> <laughs> investment. 
Um, what uh, what did they talk about in this? Like, uh, also, you did meet with uh, Rea. Um, no, Rea? not like Rena. You mean Rena? Rena. Rena. Yes. Rena. Um, yes. uh, also, <laughs> sorry. No, do do talk to me about like what was your experience of her? Like, uh, wait, do you? What well, what question do you want answered? Well, for very shortly, so the Belgian Pavilion uh, had a had a panel conversation on uh, mobility and how you know it needed to how we need to switch mobility oh, yeah. to a more a sustainable one. system. Though it was one you know uh, privatization fest, <laughs> it was like yes, and then we can have companies do these things, and we can you know uh, get private capital to do all these things. So it was it, they didn't say anything about like I mean, the will, social rights. Say, like for, for a lot of uh, average Joes, if you will, like when they think about these things, um. One of the things that like talk to people the most is the mobility one. Like, are we going to be switching to electric cars? <gasps> are we not going to be able to own cars? According to the pavilion, I mean, there yes. This, there was this one Belgian politician who wanted to like apply even more taxes on everybody who owns a car and like not really solve the solution and it's at its truth, just make it more individual responsibility. Yeah, that's basically what you get with most pavilions. But I mean, yeah, like talking about cars, at least like, because in Europe, a lot of cars are produced in Germany. And uh, I know that, for example, Mercedes now signed that by 2030, they will stop producing any cars that are not electric. So, you know, any cars that are being designed within the next five to 10 years are going to be electric and electric only. So that is where we're heading. I mean... And uh, I know this is this is a very like it deserves its own episode. But like, do you think that moving to electric cars is like the solution? No, obviously not. Not right. Like, no, no. But like manufacturing. You, you asked like what, what, yeah. what is transportation? Like transportation is a big thing. And yes, but like personally, I think we shouldn't move to private electric cars. We should move to public transport that I agree. is electric. Is anybody talking about that? <laughs> like, uh, it feels like nobody agrees with that. Yeah, Everybody they were talking about it a little bit. But that makes me think of the German pavilion, which... Oh, the German <laughs> pavilion was hilarious. Uh, they, they made it have, like, fun colors. And then they had this glass because they wanted to be extra COVID-proof. Like, no other pavilion had this. Yeah. But they had this little room in which, like, the people giving the talk would sit in. On a, on a row, uh, and then there was glass in between it, and the glass was, like, surrounded by wood. Like, it was it was exactly how you would see it in a zoo. I'm honestly going to look up pictures because I'm can't, I can't imagine, like, what you're describing. Yeah, it, it's and just I would encourage everybody like, to zoo. Yeah. Imagine a zoo. Imagine a zoo. But, like, Jesus. a zoo, yes. which is completely, like, the inside of the, of the part where the animals are, okay. is completely white. It has four office chairs. And it has four politicians in it. It's a perfect it's dis- dis- description of what a work of art, you know. Yes. Yeah, honestly, it's- like if if this would have been like a meta piece of art, I would have loved it. I mean, isn't it? Maybe. May- I'm I not sure. Oh, the Japanese? <laughs> uh, no, it was South Korea, I believe, was uh, advocating for uh, hydrogen, on which we already did an episode uh, with K-pop. So they were really pulling out all the all the. <laughs> I also heard about the United Arab Emirates had a a very big pavilion. Yes. And, uh, oh yes. Qatar as well. Qatar, yes. Saudi Arabia also had a fancy one. The only other big pavilions of uh, were, of course, the United States, which was somewhere tucked in the back. Ha- uh, 
the Brazilians had two, no? Yeah, yeah the Brazilians yeah. had two, but one was civil society, which was very like cozy with like all these pictures to- taken by. Yeah, like it was that. But then there was the governmental one, which had like these big LED yeah, uh, yeah, screens. Screens that were like. Um, yeah, they were like bent in like uh, it was a sphere, crazy. and there was like all this food and presents, and there were like just like uh, like uh, from my perception, it's like like from what I've heard from the Qatar, from the United Arab Emirates, from the Saudi, like these countries are big, big polluters, and their economy yes. is basically oil based. The USA also had a very big pavilion, though that was chucked in the back, I think, because nobody wanted to deal with the Americans. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know; it was a bit hidden. Like what? What like? What was I don't know if you stopped there, but like um, I should I should have also looked this up before the podcast. But I, like I'm just like very interested in like a country like like you said the Brazilian government or Qatar or United Arab Emirates. Like what are they actually doing in their pavilion? Like are they talking about well move movement from oil based economy to a sustainable economy? I'm talking like, about natural gas, hydrogen, unspecified which type they're uh, talking about. No, I mean reabsorbment of uh, CO2. I mean they also like they do talk about ambitious goals. Like for example, Brazil was like we will end illegal deforestation. I mean yeah, that's a goal actually at the at the end of the COP like there is uh, end deforestation by 2030. 30. Yeah. Uh Brazil signed that and they, but like the thing is, those are all voluntary things. And in 2014, there was a similar um, goal to end deforestation. Also, nothing happened with that. Um, so we, we can't really be sure what they mean, what they don't mean. All the things they say mm-hmm. in the pavilion are also just promises. Nobody's going to hold them accountable to it, except for civil society. That's why they are there as observers to hold people accountable to the shit they say at COP, um, but what Brazil, for example, presented mainly from from my point of view, like uh, was the things they have, like they they were talking about mm, all the amazing yes. biodiversity and how amazing the rainforest is, how how fertile all the grounds there are, and how how much potential there is. And then it's like, you're going to preserve that potential, right? right? And they're like, right? Well, <laughs> we we will definitely... How much are you paying? Do the <laughs> same thing we've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> ah, and I mean, the Colombian one as well. Uh, that was Yeah, it was a Colombian one, right? Or the Brazilian as well. I don't know. At one point when they were giving a talk, these two men, very shady looking, like like they were mafioso sitting that in a chair. That was Brazil. That was the video Brazil. that I did at the Brazilian. Yeah. Home. it, it They give up a weird vibe. I'm so, Also, they do. Colombia, the, the Colombian youth activists um, that we met um, confronted their... Uh, their uh, government uh, or well somebody from the government at the pavilion uh, were completely ignored um, and, yeah and, so uh, I think that's that's one more thing that civil society can do at COP confront your leaders like you are in a small space with them you can talk to them you can ask questions and yes. media is there like maybe they won't answer but media will have recorded that they refuse to answer questions it- and that is, I think, maybe one of the most important things to do if you're inside. Uh, for example, the, the Brazilian youth I followed, they tried to ask questions. 
their leaders yeah, ignored, they, they said no questions. But after that, they got to speak to um, several opposition leaders, you know, like Bolsonaro wasn't there, but a lot of the people running in the election next year against him were there. And of course, those were happy to get young voters and, to and have again the pictures. And, yeah, so like you can use youth rushing in your favor. You can use I mean, obviously, the diversity card in your favor. Um, the the Colombians did the same thing. Uh, had success in in almost like having their politicians uh, leave with their heads down a bit, like oh fuck, this is getting this is becoming bad publicity. Um, and then have spread that recording and are still trying to spread that recording as, as widely as possible because their president it gets received at, at such events by Western leaders as the example of South America while at home he's, you know, he's, he's letting uh, his police forces like shoot at, at protests, etc., doing jack shit for the climate. Yeah. So again, it's, it's that exposure that you can get there. Uh, In the end, it's like also... You know, like this exposure, like also with the indigenous communities, like, yes, they are being used sometimes as uh, window dressing and uh, as a way to take pictures. But that doesn't mean that they aren't there for a reason. They are there to well, make their voices heard. I think I think you just have to use the fact that everyone underestimates you there if you yeah. have an observer patch. Like if, if you're not party, you're kind of overlooked, but that means that you can use your time without being watched. And you can plan things. You can try to get into the media. You can try to make things happen. N the youth there is anything but dumb. Oh, we know. Really, like it cannot be stressed enough how professional Jungo is, for example. Um, how active all of the of the youth activists there are. Um, like the Brazilians were non-stop with, with actions, with drawing attention. Uh, they, they themselves, in combination with other South American groups, um, they were talking with NGOs, they were again confronting their politicians. So the youth there is, is also ac acutely aware of the fact of, of how people are trying to use them and are trying to find ways to do stuff. So it's, it's by no means that they were just moved around or something yeah. or, or you completely used without any further thought they themselves ever have I mean it, it was in that sense very beautiful I think uh, and, and very activating I mean, that, that to see them amazing. so so engaged so is there like um, yeah what I wanted to ask like like from what you've from what you've told me before the podcast and during the podcast like the Brazilian youth the Colombian youth um, what about uh, I wanted to talk like end the podcast on like the Belgian notes like uh what is being done in the Belgian um, delegation, what was discussed. You talked about uh, meeting with the youth representative. Talk to me about Belgium in general when it came to COP26. Well, uh, yeah, I met with Rena uh, over the course of the two weeks of COP. Um, and at first she was unsure of her role there, also because Belgium did not deliver a climate agreement in time for COP. Um, they just kind of followed the European point of view. Um, and this, you know, this, this created some uncertainty into what collaborations she could commit to, etc. But yeah, she, she is part of Jungo. She is part of that whole youth network uh, connected to the UNFCC, C, <laughs> triple C. So mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, so she she did what she could, and and towards the end of COP, she kind of found the hook that she wanted to work around, and that turned out to be a youth paragraph um, within the final agreement. So now, for the first time ever, really, except for, I think, um, in the Kyoto Protocol, um, which is a completely different yes. thing that was there before the Paris Agreement. Uh, for the first time, there is a youth paragraph in there that says that, um, yeah, I, I, I don't have the exact yes, text here. I don't want like to just misquote. Give, just give us the, the... Well, yeah, it's just about that they, they have to take youth voices more into account and see how they can make them more a part of this whole negotiation. And it's not much... But it's a start, and it's um, it's something that can be used in negotiations to have more leverage. That is definitely there. something very nice to hear, um, especially in 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 the shadow of um, the Belgian uh, um, environment minister taking uh, a vacation during. Which one? I uh, know that's the so yeah that the whole ordeal. Yeah, um, yeah. Get, t- is, tell us about I don't that think part. we have. Yeah, yeah. We don't. Uh, I mean, here it's, it's, is the very is a quick episode. rundown of it yeah. because Belgium has a weird uh, political structure. Yeah. Each part of it has to agree so that yeah, the so whole as I said, thing there can was agree. No agreement. There is no agreement. That's what, is. That's what it came down to. And then the politicians were basically saying like, "Oh, so we can't really do anything here," which raises the question: Why did they go? If they, you know, if Timmermans speaks for Europe and they are not going to do anything more ambitious. Why do they go? So by default, Belgium will have to follow what Europe this time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they and have to fit into it. it's in this case. No, I, I mean, yes, Belgium has to fit into whatever Europe decides, but they can fill in how they fit into it. You know, yes. do they cut down on uh, the emissions from the Antwerp Harbor or do they cut down on the emissions of heating houses or, you know, like they just have to meet the goals, basically. Yeah. Um but yeah, at the moment it's it's Belgium's index on on climate uh, action also fell to a level of like India and uh, some developing countries. So it's an it's in it's its own episode almost. Uh, how maybe, how maybe terrible do, the do country did. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's a complicated little mess. So but it's also luckily an irrelevant little mess. For now, in for that specific moment, for that in at that I mean, moment, it yeah, was the fact that Belgium did not have a concrete climate action plan didn't does not weigh in since Europe does have the goals in place. So Belgium will have to adapt anyways, and if they want to be slow about that, it's just gonna bite themselves in the ass. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's so uh, that that was the. COP26, some people called it the FLOP26. Uh, we Find the, better names, people. <laughs> there was the crying um, head of uh, the meeting, like uh, the person who apologized for youth, saying that not enough was done. And I think a lot of activists do think that not enough was done. But um, the, the public discourse... Let's actually put a put some put a put an example on that. At the end, in the second week, at the last day of COP, not the actual last day, but the last day that was planned, each constituency of the United Nations, uh, so youth, indigenous communities, the women and gender uh, constituency, the uh, constituency for uh, handicapped people, um, the 
um, constituency of the trade unions. They all gathered with the entire civil society in the plenary room, which is normally taken for the heads of state. And they each gave a speech about how disastrous this COP has been and how the system is not delivering on what we need. And then we all walked out together. So... It and then we formed a red line in front yes. of the building together with the civil societies that have outside. gathered for a protest outside. It is very clear that if it's up to civil society, this process is not enough, is not the way to go, is not the way to, to do it. And I think that was also, uh, but that's again uh, worthy of its own episode, repre uh, represented in the People Summit, which civil society in Glasgow organized as a counter, an excessive, uh, accessible counter uh, version of the COP to which everyone was invited. Um, but so, yeah, and we can very legitimately say that, yes, this COP has been an improvement by, if we watch it through the process of COP25 to COP24, it, it's another step in the right direction, but does it do enough to achieve 1.5 degrees? No. Will this process at the speed it, uh, at which it is going do enough? No. Yeah, so the question is, how do we reform this process, maybe? Exactly. Um, or have another process in place. Other, like Because the COP is like, by UN standards, it's like the highest form of... Yeah, probably a combination of, of reform on the one hand, of, of moving the, the, the United Nations in another direction, and on the other hand, developing whatever we would want that to go towards ourselves as civil society uh, because at this speed no we're not going to get there and yeah and, and people are already dying exactly. people are already suffering so it's also a question of do we want to continue at this pace because we will keep excluding people more and more as their countries are suffering more and more and as it becomes harder and harder for people to take out two weeks from saving their own home to come here and try to get a glimpse of media attention or some photos with politicians. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe this is uh, the note we end this on. Unfortunately, I, but at the same time. I mean, I think it's not, it's not that, that bad. I think there's hope for improvement. I think this cop did something. We're, we're less fucked than we were before. And we just need to keep the pressure up because the pressure keeps rising. And I do agree with that. I, I do think like pressure, several pressure shouldn't be like concentrated in these like every five years events. It should be constant um, about policymakers um, with your elections, when you, with your uh, votes, vote people who actually care about the climate in. I know like this is basically yeah, yeah, the most you can do. And on an on a structural level, trust us that there was a positive uh, element to it as well with the people summit, which we will uh, talk about in another episode. About we should probably talk about in another episode about what yes. was happening outside of the COP too. Yes, exactly. exactly. So, the, uh, so, so until next time. Until next time. See you then. Bye. 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 Subscribe and like and share and All give us this. your feedback because we are open and we love feedback. We're not a. We're starting to sound like the cop, Morgan. Yes. Just, just <laughs> press the button. <laughs>